0: Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we're helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all, or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can go to mynsc.org slash happenings. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout the week. And now, check out this week's sermon. So today we're going to focus on the cross, and it's been said that the cross, without the cross of Jesus that there, there would re- really be no Christianity. It would just be an empty shell of a religion. You know that, right? That without the cross, it would just be, it would just be religion. And In fact, I, I don't know if, I literally don't know if I, if I said this or if I heard this from somewhere else years ago, but I was thinking about the, the cross of Christ, that, that, that the cross of Jesus does not make God's love, um, how, how do I say this? That the, the cross of Jesus doesn't make God's love uh, any stronger. It actually just proves the love of God. Like, like God is love. It's not what he does. It's actually who he is. And his love can never increase nor can it decrease. He is love. It's just, it's just who he is and not just what he does. And Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come to make uh, God's love possible but he actually came to make God's love visible. And, and the cross is significant. It is a, it's an actual reminder of the love of God. It's proof of God's love for us. So the cross didn't make God's love possible. God is love, it's who he is. But it certainly makes God's love visible. Can I get an amen to that? Now, now before we go to Easter, I wanna share with you point number one, write this down that unless we understand the true meaning of the cross, we'll never understand the true power of the resurrection. So if I'm, if I'm gonna teach you on Easter Sunday about the resurrection, and I certainly am, I have to first teach you the, the importance of the cross. Because the, the, cross, the, the cross is only powerful if it's followed by an empty tomb. Remember on on the day that Jesus was crucified, there were actually three people crucified. Jesus was in the center, but there were two thieves up on the cross. But only one of them, only one of those, let me say it this way, only one of the crucifixions that day was a powerful, life-changing crucifixion because it was followed by an empty tomb. Proving that Jesus truly was and is the the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That cross is only powerful if it's followed by an empty tomb. And an empty tomb is only powerful if it's preceded by a powerful cross, the cross of Jesus. I'm going to show you that. In Scripture today. So you have to understand the power of the cross or the meaning of the cross before you can understand the true power of the resurrection. So number two, the cross both demonstrates and proves God's love to us. It's not just a demonstration of God's love. It's actually proof of God's love. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture. In fact, we're going to start where we started last week in John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus is saying these words And we read it last week, but I'm going to point it out again. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So this is love. This is what love looks like, Jesus says. He's talking to disciples, says this is what love is all about. This is love. That one lays down his or her life for their friends, for somebody else. And Jesus is actually getting ready to go to the cross and he's telling his disciples, "I'm about to endure the unthinkable, the unimaginable, but I'm doing it the driving force in my life," Jesus would say. And Jesus did say, "The driving force in my life is love." It's the the driving force And Jesus' relationship with you has not changed in 2,000 years. It's always been and it always will be love. That's the driving force concerning his relationship with you. The driving force, this might surprise some of you, but the driving force in your relationship with Jesus, the driving force in, in Jesus' life concerning you is not judgment. The driving force is love. And a lot of people think that Jesus and, or God, well, he's just out to get me. Well, he's out to get you, but not like you're thinking. Because you're thinking, you're thinking judgment. But he's not driven by judgment. He's driven by love. He's not out to get you. He's out to get you. There's a difference. You see it? You see it? He's out to get you. He's out to be in relationship with you. He's out to give you life and life in abundance. Yeah, he's out to get you, but not in judgment. He's driven by love. This is love that one lays down his life for someone else. But that's what true love is. In fact, let's go to Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates, he proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like the very people that were cursing the Lord Jesus Christ as he's hanging on the cross and they're pointing their fingers at him him and cursing him. He was not dying just for his mom and just for John the beloved. He's actually dying for the ones who were pointing their fingers at him. He was dying for them. He was dying for their sins. Amazing love. That's what I'm talking about. Amazing love. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter uh, the, I think the King James Version says the author and the finisher of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I highlighted those in your, in your sermon notes because I wanted to point something out for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And that joy was certainly not, it it did not give him goosebumps when he thought about going to the cross. In fact... He was so tormented about the idea of going to the cross that he started praying. He said, Father, if there's any single way, any other method, please let this cup pass from me. Like, I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. If there's any other way for us to save people, let that happen. But nevertheless, he said, nevertheless, not my will, Jesus said but yours be done. And he was so tormented, the Bible records, he was so tormented that he actually started sweating drops of blood. Blood was actually coming out of his skin as sweat would because he was so stressed about the cross. And he said it himself, he said, don't doubt, don't doubt that I could call 1,000, 10,000 angels to come and rescue me and what he's saying is, don't think that I haven't thought about it. And we have that proof because he goes to God saying, God, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, I'll be obedient to your plan. And he went to the cross for the joy set before him. Of course it wasn't the torture. Of course it wasn't the pain. Of course it wasn't the death. That was not his joy. The joy in the life of Jesus Christ when he was getting ready to go to the cross was not the joy of torment. The, the joy in him and That this joy set before him was the fact that you and I were going to be in relationship with our heavenly father because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. The joy that was set before him was that millions upon millions of people were going to have eternal life in heaven because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That was the joy that was set before him. So when he was getting ready to go to the cross, he was actually thinking about you. He was thinking about me. It's been said, we used to sing it in Oklahoma growing up, you know, Southern gospel songs, maybe you know this, that, that we would say things like, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. How many you remember that Southern gospel song, right? When, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He was thinking about you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross And my goal today is that you love the cross more than you've ever loved the cross before and that you love Jesus more than you've ever loved Jesus before once you leave this place. That you'll have this deep love and appreciation for Jesus, our Savior. Number three, this is so important because the cross is where God's love and justice meet. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. And, and don't worry about this, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I, I was thinking uh, about um, just totally, I was going I to scare the snot out of you this morning if you want to know the truth. I was tempted to scare the snot out of you. Because I was gonna, I was gonna go up here and say, okay, at random today, I'm just gonna randomly pick somebody in the in the, in, in the congregation today, and I'm gonna randomly select you. You're gonna come up here. I'm gonna hand you the microphone, and I want you to explain the good news of Jesus to everybody. Now, the truth of the matter is almost every single one of you would have a sudden urge to go to the bathroom, right? Like, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, like if I were to say, hey, I'm randomly going to call, you know, somebody in this room to come up here and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus, that most of you in this room, you would say, uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, not me. Uh, not me. Or if I were to say, "Hey, there's somebody that just walked in this morning. They're out in the lobby, and um, and they just want somebody to explain the good news of Jesus. They want to. Ex- they want someone to explain how they can be saved. That it." could i look at you the question is could i by the way i would never call you up here on a sunday morning so if you ever wonder if i'm going to i'm not going to do that i would never do that to you okay so relax you, you can relax i'm not going to do that but if if i were ever say to you hey listen somebody out in the lobby they want they want to know about jesus i want you to go tell them about jesus i want you to go i want you to go lead them to christ i want you to go talk about the cross ask yourself this would you be able to go out there and very succinctly, with all clarity, in about five or six or seven minutes, would you be able to explain the cross of Jesus and why it's important to them and lead them to salvation in Christ Jesus? Could you do that? And what I found out is that most Christians can't. And it's not that they don't think that the cross is beautiful, It's not that they don't rely on the work of Jesus or haven't put their trust in Jesus. But how do you, I I think sometimes it's an overwhelming thought. How do I take the entire Bible and the entire word of God and, and squeeze it into five minutes to let people know that Jesus was God's plan all along? That most people find that very, very difficult. And if that's for you, I want you to listen closely today because what I'm doing today is I'm not only teaching you the word of God, I'm teaching you how to teach the word of God. I'm not only sharing the gospel of Jesus today, I'm teaching you how to share the gospel of Jesus today. And when I got to this point that the cross is where God's love and justice meet, a lot of you would say, I don't know what that means. I don't get it. That I've heard it said before that the cross is the intersection of God's love and God's holiness. And a lot of people say, well, you're going to have to, a lot of Christians would say, you're going to have to describe, define that for me. What do you mean by, it's where, it's, it's where love and justice meet? Well, let me, let me share what, what I mean by that? The first one is, of course, Romans 6:23. Some of you have this memorized. I think all of us probably should, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. Because the wages of sin is death, then a death had to occur. And Jesus said, being the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God, in order that all of us in this room and everybody in the world could enjoy life and life to the full, eternal life and never have to suffer permanent, eternal death, separation from God. God says, someone has to die. Why? Because of his justice. Because the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus said, I'll do it for them. You see, it's where love and justice meet. The cross is the intersection of God's love and his holiness. First John 4.10, let's look at that. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, not for his sins, but for our sins. That that's what love is, that God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins. The penalty that you owe, that I owed. Jesus came to pay it so that we wouldn't have to. He died so that we wouldn't have to. And not only that, write, write this down, that God not only per- permitted Jesus' cross, but he actually planned it. Let me say it a different way. That the cross of Jesus was not something that was just allowed by God. It was actually planned by God. That's love. That he would give up. That's why we all love John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever, whoever would believe in him would experience life and life to the full, would experience eternal life, not because of their goodness, but because of the goodness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Absolutely amazing. What's this, what it says in Acts chapter two. Now, Peter's getting ready to preach it. In fact, he's in the middle of the sermon. One of the greatest sermons ever preached throughout the Bible. Of course, Jesus, you know he preached a lot of sermons. How many know they are good? But Peter preached the sermon in Acts chapter two that is really one of the greatest recorded sermons that we have in scripture. One of my favorites, let me say it like that, because they're all great. It's all the word of God, it's all true. But one of my favorites, and in it, he says this. He's addressing all of the Israelites, all of his, all, all, all of the, People that were listening to this sermon that he's giving, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Like, give me your attention. He goes on to say, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Let's stop right there. What he's saying is, we have concrete evidence that Jesus did the miraculous that signs and wonders and miracles followed Jesus everywhere he went. There is concrete evidence, and that's not only seen by me, but it's also been seen by all of you. We all know that Jesus Christ performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he says this, that that same Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Like it was planned all along. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Like the the very son of God was nailed to the cross. Watch this, everybody. They knew exactly what he was saying. The son of God was nailed to the cross because of your wickedness. Talk about a slap in the face. You killed the son. What if somebody came up to you and said, "You killed the Messiah?" <gasps> you see the you see the the hugeness of this moment, right? But but he doesn't stop there. Watch what he says. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Can I get an amen right there, everybody? We're going to celebrate that all next weekend, Saturday, Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection. But today, we're focusing on the cross. And Peter's saying, listen, listen, that we had concrete evidence that that Jesus was no ordinary man. The signs and wonders and miracles followed him. That he was truly the son of God. And it's proven by his death, but also by his resurrection. Something that God planned all along. Romans 5, 6, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. If I were to ask you in this room, has anybody in the room ever acted in an ungodly way? We would all say yeah. How many of us have done that more than once? Okay, so we all, we all admit that we have been ungodly, and that should be one of your favorite verses in the Bible. Because at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You could say it this way, Christ died for me. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Jesus died the just for the unjust. The righteous, that's him. For the very unrighteous, that's us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. So Jesus did it for us. Well, what's this? Number five, Jesus' death occurred not only for us, but because of us. I would challenge you, I would challenge you. That maybe we need to change the way that we verbalize the death of Jesus Christ. That we can say this phrase so easily, well, Jesus died for me. And that is 100% true. Jesus died for you. But let's go further, everybody. Jesus did not just die for you. He died because of you. It was your sin, it was my sin that placed him on the cross. He died for all of the unrighteous, for all of the unjust, for all of the ungodly. He didn't die just for you. He died because of you. If you were the only person in the world, he still would have died for you because that's how much he loves you, amazing. 1 Peter 2 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, the Bible says. By his wounds you have been healed. You know, a lot of people take that verse by his wounds we have been healed, or by his stripes we've been healed, and they apply that only to physical healing. And I certainly believe that it applies to physical healing, but the context of this verse and of, 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 of what his wounds really represent, by his wounds we are healed, is actually first and foremost talking about our spiritual healing. That by his wounds, we have been made right with God. By his wounds, we are now a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. By his wounds, we have been spiritually healed, spiritually made new. By the way, there are loads and loads and loads of verses in the Bible that talk about the healing power of God. How many believe that God still heals today? He still heals physically today. Okay, and and that's true. We have loads of verses about that, and we see people all the time here at New Song experience the the healing power of God. I don't want to take away from that because God still heals us physically. But the root of this verse, the focus of this verse, is not physical healing. The focus of this verse is actually spiritual healing primarily, but also all of the promises of God, including physical healing, was purchased for us on Calvary. As children of God, all of the promises of God belong to us. Jesus purchased those things for us, so they belong to us. So physical healing, yes. Spiritual healing, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? God is so good. That is so good. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, it was saying this, when you were just living life however you wanted to, not caring about God, you were living in sin, and at the time you were enjoying it. You were living in sin for a reason. The reason is because you found it to be pleasurable. That's what he's talking about, uncircumcision of the flesh, that you you were still living in sin, thinking that that was going to bring you happiness, but something happened, you came to your senses, is about what this is going to say. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You came to your senses and realized, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and Christ made you alive I'm sorry, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it where? He nailed it to the cross. So he took all of your sins. He took all of your sins, the list of every single thing that was wrong in your life, he took those things and he nailed them to the, tr- to the cross. And that verse goes on to say that actually he made a public spectacle of those things, triumphing over those things through the cross. Meaning this that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is victorious in your life and over sin in your life. Only he can conquer the sin problem in your life. You can't do it by yourself, but he can. And he did, all of your sins now as a child of God, all of your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, meaning they are completely gone out of your life, why? Because they ended up on the cross. Jesus took them and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them and your sins, new song, as children of God are no more. They are no more. Let me me tell you this, that that we we hear this a lot in culture today about how people identify. Can I tell you something about your Christianity? That that I, I am no longer a sinner, I am now a saint. That's what the Bible says, I have been made new. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle with temptations or with sin. It just means that the Bible says it this way, that I have crossed over from death to life. I have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. So I'm no longer a sinner. I have been saved by grace, and I have become a saint of God. Did you know that? That if you are a child of God, your identity is not in your past. Your identity is in your Savior, If you're a child of God, your identity is not in your sin any longer. Your identity is in your salvation. That you're a saint. Well, I don't feel like a saint. (laughs) Well, you're meant to, you're designed to. I don't always act like a saint, none of us do. but through the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God, I'm getting better and better and better at saying no to the flesh, no to sin, and yes to God. And that's his grace. It's actually proof that I'm a saint, that I've been accepted by a holy God, not because of my goodness, but because of his. I am no longer who I used to be. I am a child of God. And if you're a child of God, everybody, stop identifying with your sin. No, that's who you were. You're now a saint. You're a child of God. Absolutely amazing. I'll teach on that more down the road. I'm going to teach a series on the kingdom of God down the road, and you're going to hear more about that later this year. Too good not to teach. I'll tell you that. I'm having so much fun today, I can barely stand it, everybody. <laughs> he took my sins and he nailed them to the cross. He took your sins and he nailed them to the cross, making a, a spectacle of them, triumphing over them. You know, I, I was thinking about this, how, how to break this down in very simple words. How do, how do you... See, I'm, I'm teaching you about the cross, but I'm also teaching you how to share the cross with others, right? I'm teaching you what, what you need to be teaching others. One of my favorites that, that, that I've come to over and over and over again is Ray Comfort. I don't know if you know who Ray Comfort is, but if you YouTube him, you just put in Ray Comfort and I, I promise you he'll pop up. And he's, he has the gift of evangelism. He works with Kirk Cameron. If you know who Kirk Cameron was, remember him? Uh, the, 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 the child actor that's no longer a child, actually. He's middle-aged and uh, still a handsome-looking dude. I got to admit, he aged better than I did. I got to tell him that. And uh, Ray Comfort has this way, this incredible way, of sharing the good news of Jesus with people in such a clear, sim- simple way. And I'm going to share that with you today. And it's not just Ray Comfort's method, but actually it's used in multiple other ways. Uh, Methods of ministry, I'm thinking evangelism explosion and other ministries that just teach how to share the good news of Jesus. And, and sometimes we as Christians make it bigger and we make it bigger than it has to be, although it's, it'll, it'll always be more beautiful than what we consider to be. But sometimes you, sometimes you get overwhelmed with, I don't know how to do this. Well, let me help you. Let me help you. So if, if, if you came to me and said, hey, pastor, there's somebody out, out. They just want to, they're out in the lobby, they just wanna know the, the, the salvation message, they wanna know about Jesus, I, I would go out there and I would probably, if I did not know them, I would probably follow um, you, you know, this following example, which is I, I would ask them a question, I'm gonna ask you this question to do. How, how many of you, in, with a show of hands, how many of you have ever told a lie in your, you know, in your life? You've, you've told a lie. What does that make you? Oh, by the way, if you don't have your hands up, you are a liar. liar. Okay, right, 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 right. So by your own admission, what does that make you? A liar. How many have ever stolen anything, even the smallest of things? How many have stolen something? Okay, what does that make you? A thief. It makes you a thief. So even when I was was a kid, my my mom took me to the grocery store, IGA in Medford, Oklahoma. I still remember it. And... um, and you know how they have those little, you know, all of the candy and stuff. Well, there's a little piece of gum there, like Super Bubble or whatever, you know, and I, I want some gum. So I just took it and I just, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. And I go outside and my mom says, where did you get that gum? And I'm like, well, right there in the store. She said, you stole that. I'm like, well, I just wanted it. You know, what's the big deal? You stole that. You didn't pay for that. So she made me march back in there and give that back to the cashier and say, here's the piece of gum. I'm sorry. I stole that. Well, the cashier, I still remember this so vividly. The cashier saying, no, no, he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't. Well, my mom's yes, he does. Yes, he does have to do it. How many know we need some more parents like that in this generation right there? Okay. So I went back there. I owned up to it. And that's my first lesson about stealing. But all of us have, have stolen Something. How how many of you have ever had don't raise don't raise your hand on this one? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. How many of you have ever had a lustful thought towards somebody else? The Bible says, if you lust in your heart towards somebody else that that actually that's committing adultery, you're an adulterer, you're an adulteress. How many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you have ever used the Lord's name in vain? Like you you've said that the Lord's name so casually, so irreverently. That you tied it with your bad attitude. You tied it with your anger. You use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you, you, the Bible says if you do that, actually, that's considered blasphemy. It's, it, you're a blasphemer. Did you know that? I, I, could, I could go on. The, the Bible says if you ever had hatred in your heart towards something, it like, like it's just like murder. If you carry this hatred around in your heart, it's as if you're a murderer at heart. At and now that's only, that's only just, what is that, five of the Ten Commandments? And of course, the Ten Commandments is God moral, It's God's moral standard. And if you go to anybody in the world and say, hey, do you know the Ten Commandments? They would say, well, yeah, yeah. I'm, can you name all the Ten Commandments? No, no, I can't name them. But I know that they exist. Do you believe in the Ten Commandments? Do you believe that they're right? They would say, well, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with the Ten Commandments. I think that's God's standard. Okay, but by your own admission, I I just talked about four or five of them today, and by your own admission, you're a liar, and you're a thief, and you're an adulterer, and you're a blasphemer, and possibly a murderer at heart. Now, if you were going to stand, if that's God's moral standard, and you were going to stand before God, and he's on the other side of the judge's bench, would would you be innocent or guilty before God? Now, they've already admitted that they're a liar and a thief and they're a blasphemer, right? That they've already admitted that, that they've committed adultery in their mind or maybe even murder in their mind. They're going to say to you, I would be guilty. Okay, if you're guilty to God's standard, then why would he allow you into heaven? And at that point, they would say, one of two things, I don't know. Or they would say, well because I'm a good person. Well are you really that good? Because you've already told me that you're a liar and a thief and an adulterer and a blasphemer. Are you as good as you think you are? No. Well what if you had a bunch of what if you had a bunch of fines that you had a lot of speeding tickets? And you show up at court day because you gotta, you got to pay $1,000 worth of fines, but the judge says, hey, you don't need to worry about it. Actually, my son paid the fines for you. You are free to go. What would you do? they said, well, I, I would be so happy. I, I would be blown away by such, by such generosity. Well, that's the gospel. That you're standing before God You did not meet his moral standard and his standard is perfection and you've fallen way short of that. But the wages of sin is still death. But the penalty for your sins is still death. Somebody had to pay the fine. But I'm so grateful that Jesus paid it for you. That he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for your sins. And now God will look at you and say to you, if you just believe in my son and his gift, you can go free. If you just believe in Jesus, you can be free from the penalty of your sin. What would you do? And over and over and over again, I've seen it over and over and over again, people would say, I would look to Jesus, exactly. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Just look to Jesus. Because if Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, he took the penalty, he he died in your place. And God looks at you and says, would you accept the fact? Would you be grateful? Would Would you look to Jesus and with all of your heart say, thank you, Jesus. And if you say, yeah, Can I tell you that's what salvation is? It's looking to Jesus and saying, I realize what you did for me, that I was meant to die, but you did it for me. You made atonement for my sins. You took my place on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sins, which is death. And I just wanna say, thank you. I'm very grateful. And you know what's happening now? What's happening is, when you turn towards Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so grateful, what you're also doing is you've had a change of mind. You're repenting of your sins. You're turning your back on your sins. Jesus, I'm so grateful. I just want to worship you. I want to show you the gratitude that I have for you because I understand the grace and the mercy that you've shown me. And now, I worship you. I honor You, I'm grateful for you. And in that moment, the Bible says, you have been made new. The old is gone, the new has come, that you are now a child of God. Then I would ask him, are you ready for that? My dad always said it this way, seven life-changing words. Would you like to pray right now? Would you like to pray right now? Simple as that. And most people, if they allow you to go that distance in the conversation, most people will say, I think I am, I think I'm ready. I want you to write this down, that Jesus not only deserves our praise, but he actually deserves our surrender. That's what we're talking about. That a lot of people in this world are like, well, I really admire Jesus, he was a great teacher. No, he doesn't just deserve your admiration, he actually deserves your surrender. I'm gonna say it again, he doesn't just deserve your admiration, he deserves your surrender. I'm gonna read this to you in 1 John chapter two, verse two. He is, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I'm gonna show you this, that surrender in your life actually happens in two levels, in two stages of surrender. There are two stages of surrender. The first stage is a very personal surrender. It's when you look to Jesus, you realize that he took the penalty, he paid the penalty for your sins, my sins upon the cross. And you look to him with all gratitude and say, With a worshipful heart, you are a savior worth following. You are a savior who is worthy of my worship and who is worthy of my surrender. And today I surrender to you. I repent of my sins. And with gratitude in my heart, I surrender my life to you. After all, he saved you from an eternal death. He saved you from a very real hell and made a way for you to spend eternity in heaven. How many know he's worthy of our surrender? Personal surrender. He's worthy of it. The next level is though, there are two levels of surrender. The first one is personal It's personally surrendering. And then the second level is purposefully surrendering to God. Purposefully surrendering to God. So now I've surrendered to him personally. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm going to follow him all of my days. I'm going to personally surrender my life to him. But now I'm going to purposefully surrender my life to him. Now I want to read these verses and they should come alive to you now. But he is the atoning sacrifice for sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So now, second level is, he's not just my Savior, he's everybody's Savior. He is the only Savior, and everybody needs to know about him. Come on now. I've surrendered to him personally, but he's not just my personal savior, he's everybody's savior. He's the only savior, and the only way they can know about him is me telling them. In fact, let's go again, First John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, that we have to have this, this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. We have to surrender to him personally, but we also have to surrender to him purposefully and say, you know what, my life is no longer just about me. My life is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the goodness of God. It's, it's sharing the goodness and the grace of God with as many people as possible. Well, pastor, what if I don't know what to say? That's why I taught you the word today, so that you would know what to say. That's why I would tell you, everybody, go back to these notes and train yourself train yourself how do you lead somebody to Christ train yourself i gave you all of the notes today train yourself well how do i share my faith in Jesus train yourself but then know this that the holy spirit will create an opportunity for you to have a conversation with somebody and the bible says we're meant to make every we're meant to take advantage of every single opportunity that the holy spirit creates We have to. You know the famous saying out there, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. That's not in the Bible. I don't like that phrase. Preach the gospel at all times. Yes, be, be a servant, be loving, be caring, but you have to use your words. Paul says, how will they know If they do not hear, and how will they hear if there's nobody to tell them to actually speak it out? Hey, Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Nobody's going to look at your life and say, wow, they're so nice. I think I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Nobody's going to understand the cross just because you mow their grass for them. Nobody's going to understand the cross if you give them 100 dollars to buy groceries. They'll only understand the cross if they're told about the cross. That's how they understand. That's how you came to understand, was that you were told about it, and that you can read about it in the word of God. Make no mistake. We have to surrender to God personally but also purposefully and live our lives to make a difference. You'll have your chance this coming Easter Sunday. There's no, no better odds that somebody will say yes to come to church to you than, than the Easter weekend. So take advantage of it. Invite people with you to come. Just invite them to come. Tell as many people as possible. If you don't know how to invite them to Christ, at least invite them to church where I can invite them to Christ, where we can invite them to Christ. But can I tell you something, Christians? Believers, you need to learn how to invite somebody to Christ. And if you need help with that, ask us. Go back to this teaching. Review it over and over and over again. Look up Ray Comfort. The guy is amazing at it. Just learn, train yourself on how to share the good news of Jesus Christ as we live for the glory of his name and live our lives to make a difference in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world for the glory of his name. You received the word of the Lord today, yes or no? All right, stand up with me today. I'm so proud of you. We're gonna pray a prayer today. Of course, I want you to join us in prayer for Easter weekend services. We're we're just expecting hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people here. Even this day alone, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here already today. And, And you can't imagine what great joy it is for me to talk about the cross the cross has never been more beautiful to me than it is right now and I hope it is to you too I hope you love the cross I hope you love it love the cross, think about the cross he did it for you he did it for you next week we're going to celebrate the empty tomb proves that the cross the empty tomb proves the cross is powerful to save people from their sins and he saved me If he hasn't saved you, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that right now, right here. And we're just gonna worship Jesus. So all of us together, I want us to open up our hands toward heaven as we often do here. And it's just a sign of surrender. I say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. It's so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so very, very much. And today, whether I've done this a thousand times or if this is the first time today, I repent of my sins. My focus is on you, Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of my faith. You are the Savior of the world. And with all gratitude and all worship, I look to you, Jesus, and say, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the cross. And I confess, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Savior. You're my Lord. And for all of my days... I will live a surrendered life to you, but I need your help. I need the help of your spirit. So I'm asking for more of you in my life, more of your power, more of your presence, more of your spirit in my life, so that I can live the life that you've called me to, a life of surrender. So today, once again, or for the first time, I repent of my sins. Jesus, I I confess you are Lord, you're my Savior. And I call upon you for help. And I thank you for doing it. According to your grace and according to your word, let it be done in me. And I thank you. And now Lord, as we begin to pray for Easter services and many of us have already been in prayer for a long time now. I don't know what you have planned for next weekend, but I know, I know Lord, that your heart is to seek and save those who are lost. And Lord, give us lost souls as our inheritance. Give us the lost as our inheritance, Lord. Father, I pray as I've been praying all year long. Oh God, that you would bless us indeed. Lord, that you would expand our territory. Lord, give us the lost. Break down the walls, the barriers that they've built up in their lives. And let them receive the word of the Lord. Let it be planted in their heart and produce a harvest of salvation, Lord, I pray. Expand our territory. Let your hand be with us and keep us from all harm. I speak that blessing over all of us, over this church, over Wabash, over every Bible-believing church in this area. Not for our fame, but for yours. For the glory of your name, make your name famous, I pray, and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to tell you, if you receive Christ today, if you put your trust in Christ, there's a book for you called Fresh Start. It's at guest services. Help yourself to it. I love you. Get ready for a big, huge, celebratory Easter weekend, Saturday and Sunday. God bless you guys. I'll see you next weekend. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life and we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org contact. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones who God is using to make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for watching, and we hope you tune in next week.